the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From Talk 910 KNEW San Francisco, this is Rob Black. Rob talks about your money every weekday, live and local, from 10 to noon. Enjoy the show. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life. This is Rob Black. It's Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Coming up this hour, I'm going to be talking about where we are in saving for retirement. I can bring in an expert from Merrill Lynch to talk a little bit more about this. It's coming up in about 15 minutes, but for now, let's talk a little bit about the market. Today, we see the dollar decline against foreign currencies. We see overseas markets appreciating. We see the ADP employment report showing private sector payrolls fall slightly more than expected. The employment situation in the United States is alive and well. Yesterday, we saw two Republicans get elected governor, kind of scaring Congress. Should they still go forward with the health care reform? Americans are clearly ready to vote Democrats out. Do you really want to put your name on a big piece of legislation that's costing a trillion dollars at a time when people are frustrated about how much our government spends? Then again, we want our government to spend it. As long as it helps me. (laughs) That's what we always want. Now, the ISM services index for October comes in a bit below expectations. Our economy is made up of services and our economy is made up of manufacturing. So that's the basics. We get two of those reports, one on services, one on manufacturing. Services is more important. It's a much more profitable angle in the world. So the fact that we're a service economy now driven by 70% of our economy, 70 to 80% is services related 20% 20% to 30% is manufacturing related. The fact that we're more services oriented is a good thing. The higher price of oil in the 60s and 70s crushed us because manufacturing uses a lot of oil. Anyway, neither here nor there. Last hour, I was talking about a deep fried turkey. And I'm not lying. There's a company called Jive Turkey. They're in Brooklyn, New York. And they will deliver a turkey to your home. And that sounds like fun to me. I think I'm, I have to do that this year. Last year, I teased. I wanted to do it. I didn't quite pull it off. But you can get all sorts of toppings with it. Now, I hear that all their sides, their stuffings, and their mashed potatoes suck. But I hear the turkey top notch. And uh, you almost got to check it out. There's like a Cajun fried turkey. There's a jive turkey. There's a Jamaican chirk turkey. There's a buffalo-flavored turkey. There's a barbecue-fried turkey. There's a viola onion turkey. There's a lemon pepper turkey. There's a roasted garlic turkey. Sounds like Bubba Gump shrimp, doesn't it? So, um, a fresh Arab turkey, a pink king fried turkey, a honey pecan turkey, a peach bourbon turkey. Anyway, if anyone's done this and has had success, I would love to hear your feedback on it. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. Now, I've hit Rock Band not doing terribly well. The Beatles Rock Band not doing terribly well for Viacom. I've hit the House is going to assure workers paid sick days. You're going to see some legislations on that. Talked about Harry Reid and how he's backing off 
definitively pushing the healthcare through this year. Beijing, 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 Beijing. China okays a Disney theme park. Now, there's going to be multiple ways for you to invest. And one of them will be international. You keep hearing me say international, international, international. Now, I'm a little bit afraid that we're creating a bubble with Asia. We're throwing too much money at it. If you throw too much money at a dot-com stocks, you create a bubble. If you throw too much money at real estate like we did from 2002 to 2006, you create a bubble. I am afraid that we're creating a bubble in Asia. But I have to play along with it at this point in time. Now, China okays a Disney theme park. Disney hasn't really done terribly, terribly well yet internationally with their various incarnations of theme parks. Some of them aren't cash flow positive. Some of them are laden with huge debt. But to get into Hong Kong, Singapore, huge for Disney. In large part, you have an incredible amount of density of people there. And that will play well for Disney. It's going to take some time. They're not going to own the whole venture. Government of China is going to own a large chunk of the venture. It may or may not work. But Disney in Shanghai, it's a big headline story today. And when I want you to get international exposure, you can do it numerous ways. You can throw it through an exchange traded fund. You can do it through a mutual fund. You can do it through Disney or McDonald's. Now, hooray for Mickey Mouse diplomacy, right? A night before President Obama's visit to Shanghai, the Chinese government granted Walt Disney permission to build a theme park. After more than a decade of lobbying. Whoa. Now, getting their presence with all these people will help Disney not only with a theme park. Theme park does one thing. Well, no, no, no. Theme park does multiple things. Not only do you make money when people come through the door and, well, they stay in your hotel that you happen to own. So you make money that way. Then they buy a lot of gear and merchandise. So you make money that way. Then they go, ooh, Cinderella, and they go home and they buy Cinderella on DVD. And basically, it just it promotes everything else that they do. So, I don't know. I think that's a pretty big story of the day. I'm not telling you to buy Disney. Largest shareholder in Disney? Do you know who it is? Do you know who it is? Do you know who it is? Steve Jobs. Activision. Activision Blizzard. Friedman Billings Ramsey did a, a pretty nice report on Activision Blizzard. Talking about the capital markets. And there's concern over a very slow start for DJ Hero. There's unrealistically high expectations for Call of Duty. Call of Duty 2, Modern Warfare. Let me give you something that's just going to freak you out crazy. In its first weekend of sales, it's coming out next week, it's going to have over $500 million in sales. Now let me give you some perspective. Biggest movie of all time, Titanic. I think it ultimately pulled in $700 million. The biggest movie of all time. Call of Duty 2 is going to have $500 million in the first weekend. That's ludicrous. That's crazy. It just goes to show you, right? Now, World of Warcraft in China, there's some concerns about that. So there's a lot of concerns with Activision right now. Thursday's report should be a non-event. Upside to Call of Duty 10 launch seems unlikely. Given expectations, they're too high. DJ Hero builds on high ratings and positive gamer buzz. Company's portfolio benefits from, fits from a lack of competition at retail at this point in time, and investors begin to assess prospects for upside to 2010, driven by the company's heavy PC release schedule. A lot of their goods 
got pushed into 2010. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. Let's go to David and Palo Alto. David? Uh, hi, Rob. This is David. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I was wondering, you always talk about, like, you know, working between 30 to 60 so you can live till 100 with your money. Sure. I'm 57, and I think I have reached to my goal. Uh, should I just retire and have enjoy the life? Question. What are you going to do for health insurance until Medicare? Uh, well, I, I have, you know, from my company, I can extend it to 65. And okay. I have enough saving that can pay for that, too, you know. David, do you have a pretty good budget? Do you know what you're going to be spending? Yes. Okay. How much money do you have? Uh, without house, it's like $3 million. Okay. So I would say congratulations, David. You've hit retirement. Uh, what's your budget right now, do you think? Uh, around seventy k. Seventy k. Yeah, my house is paid for, which I'm not including in my assets. And, well, you shouldn't. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not including it. Good, good, good. We're on the same page there. So... Yeah, I, th- I think you could do it, David. I think you should probably uh, meet with a financial planner right. and come up with a five-year plan. When you meet with financial planners, what they do is they give you a document. They charge you $2,000 for it. <laughs> it's a 300-page document that's everything. It goes through best-case scenario, worst-case scenario, high inflation, low inflation. It goes through cash burn rates. It goes through distribution ideas. It goes through portfolio setup. So I'd consider meeting with a financial planner uh-huh. and uh, – Welcome to retirement, and congratulations, David. You have a ton of assets, and uh, how did you collect so much? Oh, well, just like, you know, working hard and be frugal, you know, and live within your means. Okay. And it's kind of interesting that I just work by myself. You know, my wife raised the kids and everything, so it's like single person working hard. You can still do it, you know. What did you do for a living? I'm a software engineer. Software engineer? And did you change jobs multiple times, or did oh, you just... I was lucky to just, you know, work straight for almost 25 years. Who, who did you work for? I work for Apple and many other companies in the Bay Area, Oracle uh, and stuff like that. Nice. How how was it working with Apple for all these years? Oh, it was great. I yeah. just really enjoyed it. You know, I worked over ten years, get my two sabbaticals. So it was really good. Sounds good. Thanks, David. Thank you. Eight hundred three four five five six three nine to get your calls in the area. And in David's case, that's a wonderful scenario to be in. And that's I mean, right now I'm smiling. You rarely see me smile. I've got teeth, but you rarely see a big toothy smile from me. Um, and I'm smiling. I'm happy for him. And uh, it sounds like he did great things. And it sounds like, you know, he said, live within your means. You know, worked for 25 years. He didn't do it in five. Didn't do it in zero. Did it in 25 years. A company that I like to talk about, and I want to talk about this before I go to break, because I think it's a good company to talk about. It's something that everyone could understand. And I'm trying desperately to reach out and get a new audience uh, you know, a, a radio station can brag that they've got the most listeners, but like KGO could say, well, we got the most listeners, you know, over the age of 25, but what they really have is the most listeners, 70 years old, 80 years old, 90 years old, hundred years old, and no one wants them in the world of radio. Um, I'm really trying to focus us on getting a younger audience because I want them to be the next Davids. I want them to have $3 million and retire and be in a good situation where uh, he has a budgeting, knows his spend rates and, uh, you know, at this point in time, if David you know sticks around for another seven years, he might be able to make three million into six million. But what's the point? Three million is enough to live off till the day you die. What's the point? So, David, if you need a referral to a financial planner, drop me an email, Rob at robblack.com, and I'll, I'll help set someone up to, you know, make sure that you're not taken to the bank, so to speak. Eight hundred three four five five six three nine. You get your calls on the air. Now, one stock I wanted to talk about before we go to break because I think this is a good one. And I think men will understand it, and I think women will understand it. It's called true religion. 
True Religion, they came out with a quarter last night, and it was kind of a mess. It wasn't the best quarter. Higher expenses than thought. Sales were close to the target. Sales up 7% year over year, up 1% quarter to quarter. Gross margins were above expectations. Average selling prices are at high levels. Firm continues to see the company selling its newer, lower-priced tier of jeans in addition to higher-priced fashion jeans. So what do they sell? They sell jeans. So there's going to be a little bit more shelf space and share gains for True Religion as the denim cycle continues. True Religion is a small-cap growth story. It's a small-cap growth story with legs. And there's one thing that I love, and forgive me for I have sinned when I say this. Women in jeans, there's nothing better. It's so American, isn't it? I guess some women will say, yeah, I like to see the man in jeans, right? Now, True Religion is a play on jeans, TRLG. TRLG is the play. So let's take a look at the stock. In the last year, and I brought this up in March when I first started on this radio show, it was a $12 stock. Now it's a $21 stock, nine months, six months later. So in the time that we could have had six months out of nine months, our baby would still be in the womb and you'd still be fitting in those jeans, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. Um, it's gone from 12 to 21. And I brought it up then as a great point on how to look at stocks. Now today it's down 18% and it's getting murdered. That's okay to me. Because it's still gone from 12 to 21. It was as high as 25. It's got a pretty low valuation. The, the fear on true religion is that women go, screw this. We don't like these jeans anymore. Or screw this. I don't have a job, so I can't pay for you know something nice to go on my butt. So they design and they market up scaled denim. I wear diesel jeans. I like the way diesels fit on me. And yes, they cost an arm and a leg. But it's something I'm comfortable with, and I'll go back to diesel again and again and again and again. And I won't go to any other brand because I'm loyal. That's one of the nice things about when you find something that looks good on your ass, you stick with it. And they also make swimwear, eyewear, footwear, fragrances. They uh, you know, peddle a lot of other product. But let's take a quick look at their financials because I think, again, it's, it's one of those things where we all go, I get it. And with a good pair of jeans, there's a place called an onion. You know what the onion is? Yunnan is a place on jeans where your eye catches the everything starts coming together and it's just a place that makes you want to cry. It's that kind of beautiful. So revenue in the last two, three years have gone from 140 to 170 to 270 million dollars. Income's gone from 21 to 27 to 44 million dollars. I'm not telling you to buy this. I'm telling you to look at it because it's a small cap growth story with legs. It's cute. It's something you can understand. It's something you can compare to other companies. Ticker symbol is TRLG, TRLG. Let's take a little bit of a break here. When we come back, we're going to be speaking with Chris Kenny, Merrill Lynch Financial Advisor. We're going to be talking about preparation for retirement. 800-345-5639. It's Rob Black Shoe. Talk910.com is the website. Talk910.com. You're listening to 910 AM. More stimulating talk. She take my money. Well, I'm in need. Yes, yeah, she's a trifling friend indeed. Oh, she's a gold digger. Way over town that digs on me. Uh. me now I ain't saying she a gold digger. But she ain't messing with no broke. Welcome back in. It's the Rob Black Show. Talking all things financial. Joining me right now, Merrill Lynch, Global Wealth Management. Chris Kinney, he's a financial advance, uh, advisor for Merrill Lynch. How are you, Chris? I'm doing great, Rob. How are you today? Doing good. Um, I saw a report that you've been circulating, basically tied towards 
retirement issues and where we are as far as comfort levels on the fact sheet, so to speak. What were some of the conclusions that you put together? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I, I think I was a little surprised that uh, that the confidence level was so high uh, for individuals here in the Bay Area, given everything we've gone through in the last two years, and given the headwinds uh, of a expanding, uh, exploding deficit and uh, and and some of those things going on in the the economy as a whole. But 67% of of respondents were confident in their investment strategies, and 64% were confident in their knowledge of the markets. So I was a bit surprised about that especially right after or coming out of a recession, but right after a big market correction and a big rebound, I don't get the sense that those numbers are accurate, Chris, or I think people are are maybe, I don't know, being a little overconfident in, in statistic forms. Yeah, I think so too. I think there's a, you know, there's, there's plenty of studies from behavioral science, uh, behavioral finance that, that you know indicate that people have more confidence in themselves individually, but then when we look at the the confidence numbers in the economy, uh, those confidence numbers drop to forty six percent. So there's a bit of a disconnect there. And then when they talk about their concerns about retirement, about health care costs, about you know ensuring that there's there's an inheritance to pass on to their kids, those are big concerns. Um, and with the numbers that we see on those concerns, I'm not sure it, it ties in directly to their their confidence levels and their own abilities. So there is a bit of a disconnect, and I think that you know I think that speaks to uh, your last caller when you were saying um, you know speak to a financial advisor. Yeah, and you heard that caller. It was David, and he had basically saved three million dollars. And first thing I asked was, "What's your budget?" And he said seventy thousand. And for every million, a financial advisor can probably get you about forty thousand dollars a year, pretty conservatively. Um, so three million, I do quick math there and I see 120,000 budget of 70,000. So I think he can, he can retire if he, if he truly wanted to and needed to, would you agree with my fast rapid fire assessment without knowing all the facts? Yeah. I mean, that's a, I think that's right. I think that's a pretty quick thumbnail sketch of, of, uh, you know, one way to evaluate it. And we get questions all the time that are similar to that, to the question he asked, um, where clients say, you know, once they put all their cards on the table, they say, well, how do I match up against somebody else? How do, you know, how do we look? And my initial response to them is it doesn't matter how you look relative to somebody else. What matters is how much income you need. And that's the starting point. What does retirement want to look like for each individual? Now, inside this survey, and I'm talking with Chris Kinney from Merrill Lynch, um, when asked to choose the single most challenging aspect of retirement planning, 12% said they don't know how much they're going to need, which I found Again, it's, isn't it that all tied to budgets? It is tied to budgets, and I can say in the you know, 20 years that I've been in the business, I've maybe had 10% of the people actually have a budget. Um, most people just spend it as it comes in. If it's in the checking account, they then it's out the door. And unless they set themselves up on a on a savings plan where money's moving out of their uh, their checking account on an automatic basis and you know going to that out of sight out of mind approach it doesn't happen and I think that's a lot of what we've we've seen here in the last several years um, where people really got away from savings and they focused on on growing their way to retirement with real estate with uh, portfolios not necessarily adding uh, on a consistent basis so budgets budgets are, are uh, kind of few and far between in my experience. And one thing that people don't realize in budgets is uh, senior citizens, they get hit with inflation different than you and I do, Chris. You and I, uh, we get a cheaper TV every year. So we things that we're buying and spending money on are actually becoming cheaper more often than not. 
Whereas for senior citizens, the thing that they buy, healthcare, is actually getting much more expensive. How? What number do you use, Chris, roughly? And you don't have to give me an exact to to factor in the inflation cost tied towards healthcare. Yeah, that's difficult, and I, you know, especially given the current environment where the where we are seeing so many deflationary forces out there. Um, but I th- I think if we looked at at history in terms of the healthcare, six seven percent. Uh, is a good number for those expenses increasing. And that's not not just uh, the insurance, but the long-term care uh, as well. And we've got a a population that's aging, um, and there's going to be more demand for that sort of thing, and that's going to put stress on the resources that that are available, and it's going to drive prices higher, I think. Now let's talk a little bit about asset allocation in the wake of uh, a horrific stock market correction that scared a lot of people where – Chris, I know a lot of people are still in cash waiting for another pullback. That's their asset allocation. They went to cash. Um, what asset allocation changes have you seen prominent at Merrill Lynch in the last year, 18 months? Well, one of the things that we did early in the year, I think everybody looked at, at the last three years and looked at the correlations between different asset classes all moving up and down at the same time. So it was it was real estate stocks, bonds, and even banks were at risk with with cash with you know failing banks and and we're seeing that every Friday when they they come out with the new lists um, but I think that is going to change going forward um, and that we will see we will see asset allocation come back into favor as as we see foreign stocks perform different than u s stocks and government bonds perform different than corporate bonds um, but I am seeing more of a trend towards certainty. Um, and that is on the bond side. And I think we're seeing that in the fund flows when we look at where dollars are being committed to fixed income funds versus equity funds on the retail side. People are buying more certainty. They want to know that they've got an income stream uh, and they want to know that at some point that bond matures and they get their par back. In the Bay Area, and part of your survey was tied towards the Bay Area, it skewed a little bit more confident in the Bay Area. Bay Area has got great real estate, or it had great real estate until 2008, 2009. Uh, what factor do you put into real estate in the retirement portfolio? Because with my dealings with financial advisors and financial planners, is they don't even look at real estate as an asset. They look at it as a liability more often than not. Yeah, I think that um, that most people, when they come in, they mention real estate as as something they can fall back on. Yep. And our our guidance has always been to take that out of the equation. The, the home is shelter and it is a drain um, on on cash flow, especially we get in an environment like this. But you know, I think I think people were looking at real estate as the answer over the last few years, and you've got real estate appreciating by hundred hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and people were happy to pull cash out and spend it on other things. And now we're going the other direction, and I think that you have to leave the real estate out of it because there's no certainty that we come back uh, on that anytime soon. Now, you're located in Merrill, uh, Merrill Lynch Global Wealth Management in Walnut Creek. How do people find individual people at Merrill Lynch, Chris? Because I've always seen it as a big group that you just go to and then you get assigned someone. Can you actually seek someone out there? You can. Uh, there have been some uh, some upgrades in the, in the last few years so that um, you can – uh, take a look at the website, seek out uh, bios and uh, and information about the individuals or the individual teams that are available. 
Um, so I think that's that's a, a good place to start to get yourself familiar. But then I think also, um, you know, the the teams that are out there uh, promoting themselves and um, kind of being out in the public with guidance and with advice are, you know, are the right teams to, to look for. They're the ones that are being proactive. And if they're proactive with their business in that aspect, I think it's a pretty good indication they're going to be proactive with clients as well. Chris, how has things changed since Bank of America became the mother company of Merrill Lynch? Uh, they've, they've changed a bit. We're still going through the integration, but I think it's moving ahead uh, better than expected. Uh, I, I'd seen a quote from Chuck Prince, the uh, former CEO of Citigroup, who said that the integration between Merrill and B of A had gone more quicker and better in six months than uh, the Citigroup Smith Barney uh, acquisition had gone in six years, and I looked at that as as a positive from somebody who had who really didn't have an axe to grind anywhere. Um, from my own perspective inside, I think it's been great. We're offering, we've got more solutions for clients. Um, as an example, uh, historically with a business owner, a smaller business owner, we were pretty limited in terms of the business financing we could provide at Merrill. Um, that door has opened up dramatically with B of A, and it's been, a, I think, a good move. But I think the, the solution set that we can bring to the table with um, both the debt side of the balance sheet and the asset side of the balance sheet is much stronger today uh, with the combined company. And one last question, uh, the Merrill Lynch bull. I think it's the most iconic icon on Wall Street. Tell me Bank of America is not going to kill it. Yeah, it's not going away. Oh, it's, good. The bull is, is here to stay. That was one of the questions that I I had myself uh, when they went through the rebranding. Um, and and the response is, the bull is here. He's, he's here to stay. Thanks, Chris. Uh, join me anytime you've got something important to say. It's Chris Kinney. He's a financial advisor with Merrill Lynch out in Walnut Creek. Last name is Kinney. A lot like a first name, K-E-N-N-Y. Chris Kinney with Merrill Lynch. It's the Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. To get your calls on the air, it's 800 345 Five six three nine. It's eight hundred three four five fifty six thirty nine. It's Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Nine ten a.m. More stimulating talk. We've been on the run, driving in the sun, looking out for number one. California, here we come, right back where we started from. It's Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial. Living in love in the mighty state of California. Like California. That's a little bit much. Uh, but like Meg Whitman said, uh, in the past few years, our spending's up 80%. Is California 80% better? No. To me, California is, is this the right word? The epitome, the epitome of what the United States is going to be looking at 10, 20, 30 years from now. California, 30 years ago, we started over-promising. We started doing stupid things like Prop 13. Our government right now is starting to do stupid things, over-promising, under-collecting what we're overspending on. And we're, I mean, God, California can't tax us anymore. At some point in time, we're going to go crazy and, you know, storm Sacramento with guns and, and, and fires and torches and we're going to burn it down. The United States is in the same exact boat. Our federal government's out of control. So, with that said, that's my political comment of the moment. Uh, Macau. Macau is an area in China. And Macau's gambling revenues rose to a record 12.7 billion pataka, patakas. What the hell is pataka? 
That's one of the problems with investing in foreign markets and in foreign stories. You don't know what it is. It's roughly $1.59 billion year over year. These are great numbers. China's solid economic recovery has boosted gaming demand. Gambling increased 42% in October from year-ago levels, 18% higher than seven than September's $10.8 billion patakas. Now, the Macau government only publishes gaming data once every quarter, and it doesn't comment on monthly statistics reported by the media. The National Day holiday, which extends from October 1 to October 8th, it's like, woo, it's the party time. Now, Macau casino operators, they've underpinned by the recovery in gambling revenue and increasing visitor arrivals to the former Portuguese enclave, the only place in China where casino gambling is allowed. Similarly, J.P. Morgan analyst Billy Ng said in a note that he believes gaming revenue will continue to be strong for the rest of the year because of a lower comparison base and a further improvement to China's economy. So last year at this time, we were hurting. We were hurting. We had the credit crisis hangover. So it, it looks easy. That's the problem with people right now with investing. Last year at this time, we were stupefied. We were in a trance. That was the best time to invest because we lowered the bar for one straight year. And we just came through a quarter that was glorious. We're about to go through nine quarters. No, 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 no. Excuse me. Three months, three quarters, i.e. nine months that are going to be glorious, even with high unemployment. And there's people out on the live blog who go, I don't get it. How's the market going higher? It's not, it's why it went lower last year, the unemployment issues. Now it's about easy comparisons next year. People are a little bit slow sometimes to see that. Now I I talked about true religion and investing in genes and I'm a little bit sexist at times and I know that. I think I represent men and I think I do a good job of that where I go, oh, good looking woman in a pair of jeans makes you go, oh. My goal is to teach you about investing. My goal isn't to be your politically correct friend. Although I do need a politically correct friend. Stephen Colbert. It's one of those, uh, the Colbert Report. I enjoy that show. Um, I videotape it every night. I watch 10 minutes of it in the morning. With that said, usually I get a good snick out of it. A couple years ago, he had a, uh, you know, he wanted a black friend. So he was like, I need a black friend and you could apply to be his quote unquote black friend. So, so politically incorrect in a world that's so nervous about political correctness. I think that's genius. I think he's probably one of the funniest things on television. But I, I want to bring up another product. And again, True Religion was my way of being sexist and teaching you about a small cap company that has growth. Another one. How about this for boring? J.M. Smuckers. You know what J.M. Smuckers makes? They make sweet and sticky, fruity stuff. Now, they hope coffee is going to help fatten their bottom line. Now, the number one U.S. producer of jams, jellies, and preserves, they make dessert toppings, juices. They make specialty fruit spreads. Those things aren't cheap. Apricot preserves are like 3 to $4. That's expensive. I like cooking apricot chicken. You get some apricot preserves, throw it on top of the chicken, bake it, yum, yum. That's pricey. Um, so they're, they're the number one coffee brand in the United States. A lot of people don't know that. What's the number one coffee brand in the United States? Is it Starbucks? No. Is it Pete's Coffee? No. It's Folgers. (laughs) That's why people in California can't, can't let California influence your investment decisions. Because the rest of the United States, they're kind of white trash, especially in the middle parts of the states. So the coastal areas are a little bit more educated, higher paying jobs. 
But you go to Des Moines and uh, you stop by. You don't stop at Starbucks. You stop by and get a cup of Folgers. Blech. Anyway, uh, a lot of the brands include Folgers, Smuckers, Jif. They make Jif peanut butter, Crisco. Crisco in the bedroom, always a good time. Smuckers roster also includes baking goods, Hungry Jack, Pillsbury Eagle, pet evaporated milk products. Um, they got manufacturing facilities in the United States and Canada. So Smuckers, they've got a variety of catalysts here. Ticker symbol is JMS, JMS. Variety of catalysts includes a 2.7% dividend yield. Another one is that it's trading at a, a tiny PE compared to the stock market. So the, it's a value stock. Now, if the stock market's trading at 15 times earnings, and this one's trading at 13 times earnings, it's considered a value stock. If the stock market's trading at 15 times earnings, and it's trading at 20 times earnings, it's considered a growth stock. Man can't live on growth stocks alone. You can try, but you're going to go down. So Smuckers could hit the 70s, $70 in the next 12 months. Is it perfect? Uh-uh. They recently purchased Folgers and Coffee's a much higher margin than any of the other products. Their margin should improve, and they should be able to leverage that. Again, I'm not telling you to buy it. I'm just telling you, hey, my job is to teach you. Now, here's one that I probably wouldn't invest in. Space hotels. (laughs) Am I making this up? No. A company behind plans to open the first space hotel says it's on target to accept its first paying guest in 2012. Now, critics are questioning the investment in time frame for the multi-billion dollar project. Now, the Barcelona-based architects called the Galactic Suite Space Resort says it's going to cost about $4.4 million. That's it? All you got to do is spend $4.4 million and you get to go on a three-night stay at a hotel. Now, the hotel just happens to be in space and you happen to get to watch the sunrise and set 15 times a day, which is pretty damn unique. Now, this also includes an eight-week training course on a tropical island because you can't just go into space and you got to learn some, you know, emergency things. You got to be in physical fitness and issues along those lines. Now, during the stay in space, you're going to be able to see the sun go up and down 15 times a day. That's pretty cool. You're going to go around the world every 80 minutes. That's kind of cool. Would I pay $4.4 million for it? Oh, God. If I paid $4.4 million for it, I would expect the rocket to explode on the way up and kill me for being that stupid. Now, they're going to eat. You have to wear Velcro suits so that you can crawl around on your pod, your rooms in space. So you're going to wear Velcro suits. Uh, you're going to stick basically to the walls like Spider-Man, which I guess is kind of cool. Now, space tourism is a young, young, young industry. And it's beginning to take shape with construction underway in New Mexico of uh, what's called a Spaceport America. That's going to be the world's first facility built specifically for space-bound commercial customers and fee-paying passengers. Now, British tycoon Richard Branson, how come we knew he was going to be involved in this some way, shape, or form? Richard Branson, he's got Virgin Airlines, which, for the record, I used to love flying JetBlue to and from uh, Northern California to Southern California. Virgin's the best way to go at this point in time. They got the best flights, the cheapest flights, and they're friendly as all hell, and I like that. So anyway... um, Virgin Galactic is going to use the facility to propel tourists in suborbital cost at about $200,000 a ride. So he's looking at a discount on it. It's going to take a day and a half to reach the pod. And when passengers arrive, you're going to join it for three days, rocket and capsule. And after three days, you return to the transport rocket and return to the Earth. Yay. 
800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. Let's go to break. 800-345-5639. It seems like I was just in break. Am I double breaking? Holy mackerel. Where does the time go? It's Rob Black Shoe. Coming up, more stimulating financial talk. Got an email from Bill in New Mexico. That's right. I'm bigger than California. I'm kind of a big deal. My power stretches coast to coast and internationally. I know I've got one listener in India and one listener in China. So I'm international. Like a cup of coffee. Bill says, you often talk about when to get out of a stock, and I was wondering about what you look for in the way of exit strategies. If you have time to address that on the show, let me know. Okay, um, exit strategies. Here's a good example. I bought some Apple as a trade when it was at $90 a share. I sold it recently as it did a double, and it did what I wanted it to do. When I buy a stock as a professional, I come up with five reasons why I'm buying a stock. For instance, let's go back to true religion because I'm stuck on women's jeans. I like the revenue. I like the earnings. I like the gross margins. I like the management. Ultimately, I like the product, high-end retail. I can turn on it if their revenues go down, if their earnings go down, if their margins go down, if their product quality goes down, or they get into new product that I don't like. Do you see what I'm saying? So the same reasons you buy a stock are the same reasons you sell a stock. If it was meant as a trade. Now, long-term... I will buy Visa every three months for the rest of my life. If that's one of the stocks that I, I believe in for the long term, I'll buy it. If it's higher, I'll buy it if it's lower. I'll buy it if it's uh, got a big hat on. I'll buy it if it's got a little hat on. I'll buy it if it's uh, around the corner. I'll buy it if it's in front of me. I'll buy it on a regular basis. I don't have to justify that. I think it's a great long-term hold. It's long-term accumulate. Does that make sense? Some stocks you have reasons why you would get out. Some stocks you don't have reasons why you would get out. Anyway. Come up with five. Tomorrow, I'm going to be speaking with Charlie Crackler. Is he going to be in studio? Ooh, sweet. Charlie Crackler. He's got some breath issues. No, 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 no. He's, he's a lovely guy. He's a real estate guy. I'm not throwing him under the bus, but let's just say some breath mints will be provided nicely in front of him. Um, I just think he's got bloody gums or something. Something's wrong up there, if you know what I'm going at. 800-345-5639. It's, uh, we're going to be talking real estate tomorrow, probably for a good hour. So if you have questions about how to value a rental property, he's your man. He's really good at real estate investing issues in large part because he runs a school for real estate agents to get their continuing education and to get their uh, education certification. So we'll talk a little bit about that. I think he's a bright guy. Him and I oftentimes disagree. And uh, when we disagree, we basically take our shirts off and wrestle. So uh, we'll have the studio camera on for that tomorrow as well. Now, let's change topics ever so slightly. You know, the biggest problem that I have on the show is transitions. I don't do transitions well. I don't know how to do transitions. I'm not classically trained like Ron Owens um, to do smooth transitions. I kind of do a off-the-top-of-my-head show. Um, the U.S. Senate could... As early as today, do a $45 billion plan that no one's heard anything about. 
can expand a tax credit for first-time home buyers and extend jobless benefits and provide tax refunds to money-losing companies. The Senate has voted 97-1 to 1. 97 to 1. That's a rout to end debate on the measure and clear the way for final approval. The Senate's likely to pass legislation and send it to the House, where Democratic leaders predicted it would quickly be forwarded to President Barack Obama to be signed into law. Now, the plan is going to be the first major extension of provisions in February's stimulus package. The $8,000 home buyer's tax credit, slated to expire this month, would continue through April 30th. It would be expanded to include people with higher incomes and some who already own homes. The credit would cost $10 billion. Now, I bought a home this year that I expect to lose money in for five years. I didn't qualify for the tax credit. Why? Because I make too much money. When they extend it, guess who's going to suddenly qualify for it? And I didn't need it, but I'll gladly take your tax dollars. I'll gladly do that. So the measure also includes $2.4 billion to extend unemployment benefits for as many as 20 weeks, enough to aid the jobless through the holiday season. It would loosen tax rules for home builders and other money-losing companies let them claim an estimated $33 billion in tax refunds this year. Now, senators voted 85-2 to two on November 2 to advance the legislation. It's since been delayed for weeks by Republicans' demands for votes on amendments to the plan. Republicans used every trick in the book to slow it down and stall it. Hmm. So the increased credit, the Senate plan would allow homebuyers who have lived in the residence at least five years to receive a $6,500 credit. So if you've lived in your home for five years... You get a $6,500 credit. What the hell is that? Now, couples earning as much as $225,000 a year and individuals earning up to $125,000 would qualify. And that's up from the current $75,000 limit for individuals and $150,000 for couples. Those buying homes worth more than $800,000 wouldn't be eligible for the credit. Those who sell their new home or stop using it as their main residence within three years would have to repay the credit. Oh, God. Our government's good at spending, right? <laughs> we can say that they're good at that. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. That seems to be the biggest financial story of the day. I'm seeing if there's anything else that I'm missing here. No, Yankees tonight. That'll be fun. That'll be a, um, a good World Series game six. Yankees are doing something controversial. They're pitching with three days rest versus pitching with five, uh, four days rest. Yankees fans who invest in the stock market may find conflict between a World Series title and a happy holiday season. Listen to this. Yankees seeking their 27th championship. Lead the Philadelphia Phillies three games to two in the best of seven classic. Um, the chart of the day shows the historical November and December performance of the S&P 500 when the Yankees lose in the World Series versus when they win their title. Hmm. So technically... You don't want the Yankees to win because the market underperforms when that's the case. To get your calls in the air, pick up the phone right here, right now. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. I will take your calls in 22 hours, but if you want to wait on hold for 22 hours, you're the ultimate blackhead and I love you. It's Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.